I'm Mitch Green. I'm the student pastor on staff. I had to work really hard this week to make sure that I introduced myself just as that. Um, because those of you who have been around for a while, you've known that I've been the missions pastor on staff for the past five years, and now I'm our student pastor. So I knew when I got up here, the first thing I'd probably say was, hi, I'm Mitch Green. I'm the missions pastor on staff. But um, super excited to bring the word of God to you today. Uh, pastor Scott is away. He's actually visiting his son Harrison down at Liberty. Um, so just kind of spending some time with him, which is really, uh, really, really good for them. This morning's going to look a little bit different to you. Um, Part of our heart with this series, um, with this series on praying with Paul, um, we want to grow and develop as a praying church. And so we've launched a lot of different things um, in the midst of us doing this series. And so one of those things that we launched last week was a Facebook prayer group. Um, And I don't know if you guys were able to join that. Um, If you haven't yet, this is one of those times where I'm actually not going to get disappointed when I see your phone out. Um, you can take your phone out and you can join that prayer group right now this morning. Um, there's about 200 people in there. And honestly, um, man, it's, it's shown us that there's some redeeming value to Facebook, right? We, we've seen that this past week. We've seen people in our church um, ask for prayer. We've seen people receive prayer. We've seen prayers answered. Um, and as Keith and I were talking earlier this morning, you'll see in a moment he's going to come up here. But um, I was going to say all the things right now that he's actually going to be praying for, so I'm not going to say any of those things, but we've seen God move in our midst even just this week as we've been praying together as a congregation on Facebook. What a crazy thought. Um, Super cool. Yeah, yeah, class for that. So that's one thing that we decided we wanted to launch in this series. Um, Another thing that we decided we wanted to launch in the middle of this series was a, a prayer gathering that we're going to have here at the church on October 3rd at 6 p.m. And let me tell you right now, this is one of those things where we say we want everybody there and we actually mean it. Um, We want our church to gather for prayer. Because again, we want to be a praying church. We don't want to just talk about being a praying church from the stage on Sunday mornings. We want to actually be a praying church. And so we're going to do that together on October 3rd. Another thing um, that we're doing as a church, and there's, there's this group of men um, super, super faithful that they've been meeting at our church Sunday mornings. Um, if one of you are in here, will you remind me of the time? I think it's 9 a.m.? Yeah, yeah, they're, they, yeah they, they tend to be a bit older than me, so their wake-up time's a little earlier. So, yeah, they meet here at 7 a.m. every Saturday morning uh, praying for our church, praying for our missionaries, praying for needs in our church, and they've been doing that. And then alongside that, there's a group of women that are going to start meeting um, at the 11 a.m. service to pray together for corporate prayer, to pray for our services, to pray that God would move, to pray that God would show up in this place. And so as you can see, we're not just talking about prayer. We're trying to create some opportunities where we will be doing lots and lots of prayer together. Now, as I said, this morning is going to look a little bit different because here in a moment, Keith's going to come up here and Keith's going to actually lead us through another initiative that we want to start in our church. On the third Sunday of every month, you may have noticed that we've been praying for our missionaries. We've done that from time to time, right? You've seen me come up here. We'll pray for a missionary. Sometimes we'll do a video where we introduce you to someone. But we want to actually broaden that. And so the third Sunday of every month, we want to pray for needs within our congregation specifically together on Sunday morning. Something that some of us in the room, it might seem kind of old school to us, but I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be really powerful for us to hear names of people in our church that we need to be praying for, to celebrate the successes of people in our church together, 
I think it's going to be a really, really powerful thing that we're going to introduce this morning. But before we do that, I want to get you a chance to get to the place in the Bible that we're going to look at after, after Keith gets up here. So we're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 this morning. So you can go ahead and start to turn there, and I want to just set up this series. So we are looking at the prayers of Paul. In the Bible, we can find help for our prayers in three different ways, and Scott talked about this last week. The Bible teaches us how to pray, right? We see Jesus in the Bible. Literally, his disciples go to him and they say, tell us how to pray. And then he lays out the Lord's Prayer for them, which gives them a system of how to pray. The Bible sometimes teaches us how to pray. The Bible also literally gives us prayers. One thing that I've been doing lately in my life is I have a different psalm on my screensaver on my phone because I want to be praying the psalms. The Psalms are a great example of the way that the Bible teaches, or the Bible gives us the actual words for us to pray. The third way that the Bible helps us pray is that we see people in the Bible model prayers. And so in this series, we are looking at the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And so that is what we're doing. So Keith, you can come up here, and then we'll jump right into Philippians 1 after we're done with a little pastoral prayer this morning. And put it in context of what he says. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. If any, in every, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance of need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So you see, Paul says, I know the secret to contentedness. The secret to contentment. How many of you would like to be contented? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, but he gives us the secret here. He says, we need to trust in God whether we have a little bit or we have a lot. We need to learn to lean in on God and his strength because through Christ, he gives us all that we need so that in all things, we can have that strength through Jesus. Well, today's prayer needs, uh, we're going to pray about uh, basically four different things this morning. Uh, one is uh, in Haiti, and if you've ever been to Haiti, and several of you have been to mission trips uh, in Haiti, we know that they have a lot of needs. They know what it's like to abound with a little without having much. But I, about a month ago, uh, there was a, another earthquake down in, in southern Haiti, and uh, I had the opportunity to talk to one of our translators uh, via messenger uh, just a couple weeks ago, and he said the need there is even greater now. So we need to pray for our brothers and sisters uh, there in Haiti. This past week, we've also had several people who have gone to the hospital. We actually had two who were there for uh, overnight stays as well. Uh, one we need to pray for is Mina Hale. She's a wife and mother of three, and uh, she, she had a stroke, and it affected the left side of her body. And so it's been neat to see the way the church has rallied around that family, their D group, and other people are providing meals. And then they're doing all kinds of other things to help out that family uh, while Mina recovers. And then also little Andrew Rife, who is a seven-year-old, uh, was in Riley, just got home yesterday, uh, finally got out of the hospital yesterday. But he's been there all week, and uh, he's had some respiratory problems, and so we want to pray for uh, Riley as well. 
And then a, a praise, Dalton Cox and Morgan Wide got married yesterday. So, uh, so that was something fun that, uh, that we also, yeah, we get to praise God uh, for that. So uh, let's take just a few minutes and let's apply this verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let's apply that as we uh, pray uh, for these special needs this morning. So let's pray. Well, Lord God Almighty, we come to you. You are the creator and sustainer and redeemer of all life. Uh, we know that you uh, know our needs. You know our wants as well. And Father, only you have the power to provide everything that we need. Thank you so much for promising to give us strength in all things through your son, Jesus. We definitely need and want your help. And so, Father, we just want to pray that you would forgive us when we rely on our own limited strength. There's only so much that we can do, but there is nothing that's impossible for you. And, Father, we want to pray that you would be with the people in Haiti. We pray that the gospel would reach out to the hearts of those who don't know Jesus yet uh, through the tragedy that has struck there. And Father, we just want to pray that you would strengthen and preserve our fellow Christian brothers and sisters there. Please provide their needs and encourage their hearts as they see you working to meet their needs. Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for the strength and healing that we have already seen that you provide for Mina and, and little Andrew. Uh, we just want to pray that you would strengthen them further as we see uh, you working to restore their bodies back to better health. Lord, may you provide Mina with the courage as she leans on you to bring back the full use and the strength of her left side. We pray that you would restore her that way. Lord, we ask that you be with uh, little Andrew and, and help him to breathe easier and to be able to eat and to gain weight back and to get the strength that his body needs now. And Lord, we want to thank you so much for Dalton, for Morgan, for their faithfulness to you. We pray that as they start uh, their life as husband and wife, that they might bring you praise and glory and honor, that they would grow closer to you and to each other as each day goes by. Father, we know that you have unlimited power. We know that you can strengthen our faith, and we just pray that this week you would help us to believe even more that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Father, may we fully trust in you and lean on you and not on ourselves. We know and we believe that you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And help us to realize that even more. So in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, church, we want to introduce that. That's something we're going to do um, the third Sunday of every month. Um, we want to be a church that we're praying for one another. We want to be a church that's praying that God would move in this place. And we want to be a church that we're praying for the work of the gospel um, throughout the entire world. And so it won't be something that we always do in the middle of the sermon. Um, I know that might seem like a hard break, but we just wanted to this morning just begin by showing you that, again, we're not just teaching something. Um, I know sometimes sermons can kind of be one of those things that they hit our ears and then we leave, especially if you're not a good note taker like me. You leave and then you're at lunch and you're like, well, we talk about a church today and you might forget. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those series where we want to actually put some action to the things that we're teaching. Um, and so we want to introduce these different ways for us to be praying together as a church in this place. And so this morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Um, before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of background. Because again, with this series, we're jumping around from different prayers of Paul. So last week we looked at Colossians. This week we're going to be looking at Philippians. Um, Paul is writing to the church in 
uh, Philippi. I, um, when I was in a seminary class this past semester, my professor would never say Philippi without saying Roman Philippi. Um, his reason for doing that is because Philippi is a Roman colony, and it's very much like Rome. So if you're trying to get a picture of the people that he's writing to, think Rome. That's what you should think of. Um, which also gives us a little bit of a clue into why he may be writing to them. Um, Paul addresses throughout this entire letter, he addresses some sort of strife that they're dealing with. But he never really gives us the exact answer to what that strife may be. He's not saying, oh, this emperor is coming down on you specifically, or this is the trial that they're facing. But we do know that they're facing strife in two different ways. They're facing strife internally within their church body, meaning that there's some sort of quarrels that are going on inside their church. And then secondly, they're facing strife from outside the church, that somebody is enforcing something on them, likely e the government of Rome. And so this is the situation that Paul is writing to them in. And if you've ever read this book, you see that he gives them great encouragement, but he has one goal in mind, that they would know Christ more, that Christ would be the foundation of their entire life, that they would seek Christ over the internal strife that they find within the body of believers, and that they would seek Christ in the midst of the strife that's coming from the outside forces, whether it be culture, the government, other religions, that they would seek Christ and they would know him more. Sounds like a good prayer for us, right? It really does. And that's why we're going to look at that this morning. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Paul begins by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus." And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God and praise of God. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that as we look at this prayer of Paul, um, this prayer that he had for the church in Roman Philippi, God, that we would understand um, your heart for us, um, specifically the people in the room today at Stones Crossing Church. Um, God, that we would be a people that would grow in our love, um, that we would be a people that would grow in our knowledge of you. Um, God, that you would give us discernment in the world that we find ourselves in. Um, And God, that there would be fruit that's born out of that, um, that you would be glorified In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can take a seat. I wanna reread for you verses nine through 11 this morning because this is specifically the prayer that we will be looking at. Paul says in verse nine, 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. First thing we see Paul pray for in this prayer is that he prays that their love may abound. Love is one of those things that I think sometimes we get mixed up in our culture today. Uh, Love is something that we tend to think of as an affection, a way we may feel about somebody. See, Paul's understanding of love is that love is something that is always active. It's always something that's displayed towards somebody else. And he illustrates this in this verse in two different ways. First off, the obvious. He says that love may abound. Meaning that there might be more and more love displayed through the church in Philippi. That love would abound. But there's another deeper way that Paul displays this. And this is the way, the word that he actually uses for love. See, the Bible's written in Greek. And the word that Paul uses for love is the word agape. Agape, which he uses four other times in this letter, is a word for love that is intrinsically tied to God's love. So if you take that and you interpret this verse knowing that, you would say, may the love of God abound more and more. See, there's four different kinds of love that are written in the Greek language. There's brotherly love, you know, like love between friends. There's familiar love, love between family. There's agape love, which is the love of God. And then there is the kind of affection, romantic love. Paul was specifically saying here in this passage, may the love of God abound more and more through you. May you love like God loves. Now, where do we get one of the greatest pictures of God's love? Well, in another one of Paul's writings in Romans chapter five, where Paul says this, for while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us by doing what? Dying for us. So this is the picture we need to have when we look at this verse, that love may abound more and more, that we may display the love of God. Paul actually, in the rest of his letter, he uses this word agape again, as I said, four different times, and three of them he uses them this way. So first Paul says we should display God's love, and this is verse, uh, chapter one, verse 16, through our preaching, where he says this, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, the latter Do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So Paul says that when we preach Christ, we should do it out of love. Anybody in the room ever preached Christ from a place other than love? Yeah, I think we all have. Like, I just wish you would understand this. I'm so mad you don't understand this. Maybe that's our posture sometimes. But Paul says, no, 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 when we preach Christ, Preach Christ out of the love of God. See people 
the way that God sees them. Because God was willing to send his son to die for them. That is the love that we are supposed to display towards people. The second way that he does this is found in chapter two, verse one, and he's talking about how to love each other in community. So Paul says this, this is probably familiar to some of you. So if there is therefore any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any, any affection and sympathy, which I, I love this, I'm gonna pause there for a second. He literally goes like every category possible. He's like, if God has ever done anything for you, anything, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another and of mind. What Paul is saying here is that may the believers of Christ be one. Not because we agree on everything, not because we root for the same sports teams, not because our kids go to the same school, not because we have the same professions or we all like the same things. Be one because God is calling us to be one. Love like God loves. The third way that he displays this is found in the following two verses. This is verse three through four. And this is in service. He says, so if there is any encourage, oh, sorry, wrong one. He says, do not be self, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you luck not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, if you have experienced God's love, there's no room for selfishness, especially within the body of believers. So this is the first thing that Paul prays for. He says, may love abound more and more within the body of believers. May you love people when you preach the gospel to them. May you love each other when you're serving one another. And may you love each other more and more and more. May the love of God be displayed through the body of believers in Philippi. May the love of God be displayed through the body of believers at Stones Crossing Church this morning. That's the first thing he prays for. The second thing he prays for is this, and these two, this prayer is specifically tied in one phrase. This, the second thing he prays for is knowledge. Now, knowledge, again, is another one of those things that sometimes I think we have warped. When we think of knowledge, we think of, I want all the right answers. We come in here and we go, you know what, God, give me the answer to this specific thing. You know, maybe it's to tell me how I'm supposed to punish my kid when I get home this morning because they didn't do their homework or something. I want that specific answer. You know, God, lead me to what ice cream flavor I'm supposed to, you know, we think, we get so specific, so situational with the way that we think about knowledge. Knowledge is not what, that is not the kind of knowledge that Paul is praying for. He's not talking about a singular decision. He's not talking about ordinary knowledge. What he's actually praying for, that they would grow in their knowledge of God. That they would know him more. That as their love may abound, it comes from a place of the people in Philippi loving and knowing who God is more and more. As you know God, 
You can't help but to love people because you understand God's character. I think for a lot of us in the room, we want to seek the answers, specific things in our life, more than we actually want to know God more. Again, it's probably reflected in our prayer life sometimes, right? I found myself just last week, again, I want to be very transparent that I'm in this battle with you, where I'm driving from my house and I tend to pray in my car when I'm driving to and from work. My eyes are open, so don't worry about that if you ever see me on the road. I'm praying with my eyes open and I'm driving in my car and, and I'm praying there and it takes me a good three or four minutes before I get past just asking God for a specific request. It really does. Three or four minutes, I'm like, God, can you help me with this thing here? And God, I'm trying to figure this thing out and God, boom, 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 question, 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 question. And then I get to work and I start to prepare for this sermon and I'm like, oh my gosh, do I want to know God more and more as much as I want God to give me the answers so I know what to do? Which one do I actually want more? And I'll be honest with you, I want to know God more. I want to know God. And as I know God, this is where Paul gets to his third point here. Paul says that as we know God, he prays that they may have discernment. Now, again, so now this is where some of you are like, but yeah, he does say you know, he does actually pray for their desires to get the answers to the specific things in their life. Yeah, you're right. This word used for discernment, sometimes translated as depth of, depth of insight, only shows up in this one place in the entire New Testament. It's a word that doesn't show up a single other time in the entire Bible. It's a word that's common in Greek. It does mean help with your decisions. But what, God, what Paul is saying here is that as we love people more and more, as we grow in our knowledge of God, then therefore we will have help and guidance when we make our decisions, not the other way around. That we don't pray to God for our decisions, and then we say, hey God, yes, 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 thank you, I know you're God, so I wanna know you more. Oh, and by the way, God, if you give me the answers to my decisions, I'll love people more. It's the other way around. That as we love as God loves, as we know more of God, we know the depths and the truth of who God is and who he says we are, then he will help guide our decisions. I want to illustrate this this way. Um, I'll be honest with you. So I've seen one episode of The Chosen ever, which I feel like I'm a pastor on a staff. I probably should have seen all the episodes by now, but I've seen one episode of The Chosen, but how many of you guys have watched The Chosen in the room? Um, the one episode I saw was great. So um, and as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking of the way that sometimes we approach the knowledge of God. Um, and I was reminded that Paul himself um, kind of illustrates this point to the church in Philippi in chapter 3. And there's a scene in The Chosen that I'm going to have us watch in a moment um, where Nicodemus is asked to go teach. At, and again, in episode 1, not a very important season. You guys are like, probably going to be like, there's a million better scenes than this, but hey, I've seen one episode. But So there's a scene where Nicodemus is asked to go teach at a rabbinical school. And you'll see the way in this scene that they are taking notes from him, and you will see the way that they're teaching. And you'll probably get some insight to how similarly um, a Jewish audience may have approached trying to get answers um, to decisions in the knowledge of God. So check out this scene, and then we'll see where Paul actually addresses this in the letter afterwards. How unfortunate that those who do the actual fishing are unholy. 
foul mouth given to gambling in secret dens, or even fishing on Shabbat. Can we eat the catch and not be stained by the sins of the catcher? Make no mistake. It is a sin to eat fish caught on Shabbat. What goes into the body of a man defiles him. Why are our Jewish brethren taking their boats to sea on Shabbat? I assure you, the Messiah will not come until this wickedness is purged from our midst. Your actions are being watched, studied. God has entrusted you to be exemplary in every way. Now, if your status is too great a burden, you do not deserve to bear the name of Israel. So, a little bit of background there. So, again, Nicodemus is teaching them. There's some men that have been fishing on the Sabbath, which obviously... Um, doing any work on the Sabbath is against Jewish law. And so he goes in and he's teaching this audience. And again, there's people amongst the midst in this audience that he's teaching to. And he says that fishing on the Sabbath is wrong. We all know that, right? That's kind of how he begins. And he goes, by the way, if you don't stop fishing on the Sabbath, the Messiah will not come until you quit fishing. Which again, we all know that that's not true. And then he goes farther and says that what goes in the mouth of a person is what comes out of them. So you can't eat the fish of anybody who ever fishes on the Sabbath. See, what had happened around the time of Jesus, there was this group of people that had risen up from Judaism called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees began to look at Jewish law and they tried to take it and interpret it and apply it specifically to every single scenario in their context. So they would take the law and then they would go, what does this say exactly about this situation in my life? And there has to be an answer. And that's exactly what we see Nicodemus doing, correct? He's like, no fishing on Sabbath, therefore means no, no eating on Sabbath, therefore means if you keep eating fish on Sabbath, Jesus isn't coming. Now he doesn't know it's Jesus, but... At that time, he's like, he's not coming if you keep doing that. He takes the law and he makes it so rigid that he tries to apply it specific to his circumstances. Paul addresses something similar to this in his letter in chapter 3, verse 4 through 8, where he says this. Paul begins and he says, though I, my, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, this is where Paul starts going into his rap sheet about how he is the greatest Jew of all Jews. I am the rule keeper of all rule keepers. He says, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, catch that word, knowing, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. See, Paul says, I was an absolute expert at keeping the law. I was an expert at knowing exactly what to do. It pales in comparison to knowing Christ. The answers, the way we're supposed to live, 
Paul's not saying they don't matter. But what he's saying, what matters more is knowing God. That knowing God will help guide those decisions, but knowing God is our first priority. So again, Paul prays first that love may abound more and more. Paul then prays and says that they may have this in knowledge, then they may do this in depth of wisdom or insight. And so if they do this, Paul then says this is the result. They'll be able to approve what is excellent. They'll be pure and blameless. They'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And most importantly, God will be glorified through their actions. I think there's some pictures that are given to us throughout the Bible that help really display what a person like this may look like. Uh, Many of them are found in the Psalms. Psalm 1, one of the very first verses, begins with the picture of a tree by a stream. If you've ever not read through the Psalms, I would really encourage you to do that. This is a person that is so rooted in God that their primary goal and their focus is to know God, that the roots are so deep in them. I imagine a person like that is able to prove what's excellent, be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, and obviously God's glorified through their actions. This is a person that love is abounding. This is a person that's more concerned with the knowledge of God than they're concerned with the decisions that they're trying to make. They want answers to those things, but knowing God first and foremost is their number one priority. The second image that we see throughout the Bible is found in Psalm 15 where we're given two different pictures. Can we get those on the screen? Real quick. The second image we're given is this. May we be sojourners on your holy hill. Now some translations say mountain. It's probably a better picture. May we walk through life constantly seeking and growing and knowing our knowledge of who God is. May that be what our life looks like. He then says, may we dwell in your holy tent. These are three different pictures of what it looks like to be the people of God. Not a group of people with all the right answers, but a group of people that are so grounded in who God is. Now, I'm running out of time, but I want to first say, okay, why does that not happen? What prevents us from doing this? Because again, we all want that, right? Every one of us in the room is like, yes, We want that. Well, I think there's two different ways for us to understand better what prevents us from doing this. Um, The first is specifically just thinking about Paul and his audience. You know, what was at play for the church in Philippi that made Paul say, I want you to grow on your knowledge of God in spite of the circumstances that you find themselves in? Well, we find this in a couple verses before the prayer, where Paul says, you are partakers with me in my imprisonment, Again, Paul's writing to them. While Paul's writing to them, he's actually in prison. He says, you're partakers with me in my imprisonment. Therefore, Paul has been placed in prison for the spread of the gospel. The second thing he says, he says, you are partakers with me in my defense of the gospel. Meaning that there's some sort of battle at play with them and culture. And I think Jesus actually displays this well. I'm not going to read it this morning, but I'd encourage you in Matthew chapter 13 to read the parable of the sowers. And in this parable, Jesus describes some grain being cast out. 
He describes a man went out to sow grain. Some seeds fell on a path and then a bird bird eats them. Some seeds fell on rocky ground and there was little soil. The seeds soon sprouted, but when the sun came up, it burnt the young plants. Some seeds fell among the thorn bushes, which grew up and choked the plants. Some seeds fell on the good soil and the plants produced corn. See, when we hear the word of God, this is what Jesus is describing in this parable, that for some people, we hear it and we just move on. We hear it, it sounds good, sounds nice, but we just move on. Then Jesus goes on when he describes this parable. He says, then some people hear it and they're distracted by the voice of culture. You can go read it. It's in Matthew chapter 13. It's literally what he says. That the voices of culture and other things come to them and therefore they're more interested in culture, their wealth, their personal development, that they move on from hearing the word of God because those things become more important to them. And then Jesus says, he comes back to this image of a tree. He says there are those who they hear the word of God and it becomes rooted in their life. And as they're planted to God, again, not to decisions, not to right answers, planted to God, they stay. They're not wavered. And so I think we have to ask ourselves this morning this. Again, this would be, you know, the application. This is the prayer of Paul, that love may abound more and more, that they may grow in their knowledge, that they may gain depth of insight. First, we have to ask ourselves this. Are we somebody in the room who maybe we don't know God? You know, I was, I was talking with a student a while back, and we were talking, and, you know, sometimes we come to church, and we want to believe in God for the things and the people of God. We want the experiences. We want the fun. But we don't really want to just know God. We want what God will give us. Do we know God? It's the first thing I would encourage somebody in the room this morning. If you don't know God you've not heard the message, I would encourage you today to say, you know what, I want to begin a path to know God more and more in my life. For the rest of us, that, you know, we profess to be Christians in the room. We say we want to know God. We know we want that. Pursue God over absolutely everything else. Pursue God over personal gains. Pursue God over the voices of culture. Pursue God more than everything else in your life. May we be a people that love abounds more and more, that we grow in our knowledge of God, that we do look like a people who are discerning, but all because we're rooted to the source of all those answers. Not that we're just people that are seeking the right answers for the situations of life. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, God, I thank you, Um, God, that you rescued me, Um, that you rescued so many people in this room, and that God, you displayed your love for us. Um, And God, I just pray that we respond to love others in the same way, God, that we would die to ourselves and that we would be a people that are marked by the work of the gospel. 
God, that our first priority in life would be to know you and to know you more. God, whatever distractions we may have, whatever situations we're facing at work, God, we do want guidance for those things, but let them come out of a place that we're, we're rooted in you. And so, Father God, I pray specifically for the people that are in the room this morning that they don't know you. Um, they've never seeked you out in that way. Maybe they've never heard it so clear to just say, God, I want to know you more. That, God, you would begin to place them on a path of understanding who you are, the work of your son Jesus on the cross. Father God, that they would live a life of praise. God, may we be a people that sojourn together on your holy hill. May we be a people who dwell in your tent. Father God, may we be rooted in you. Mark our church in that way. Father God, we pray with Paul for Stones Crossing Church that this is our heart for our church. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.